Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Podolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Podolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games, but thought he was destined for a 1,000. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Up My Hockey, you are in for a good one today. My conversation with Danny Briere was top shelf. This guy is a class individual. His story is second to none. And, uh, and it was a real honor to have him on the phone. Danny is a five foot nine, 175 pounder, uh, that played in the realm of the big men back when, when the league was huge. Uh, he was not, he was not big in stature, but he had a huge heart and we go all through his story right back to his, uh, Drummondville days where he ended up scoring 163 points. He led the entire league in points had 67 goals that year, which earned him a 24th overall uh, draft pick to the Phoenix Coyotes in the 1996 NHL entry draft. He went on to uh, play for the World Junior Canadian team. After his third time getting cut twice in two previous attempts, he ends up making it his third go around, ends up winning a gold medal for them. We touch on that. Uh, and we get into his career, like what it was like to play in the minors, to have a great minor league uh, season, to end up not really making it in the NHL, and what that difference was for him to end up feeling like he belonged, to end up feeling like he was an NHLer, and then contributing on the NHL level, and contribute he did. He went on to play 973 NHL hockey games, scoring over 300 goals, almost getting 700 points in the greatest league in the world. But what I love about him is that he played the best when the lights were the brightest, and that's during the Stanley Cup playoffs. 124 games of Stanley Cup playoff hockey, 116 points, almost a point a game in the Stanley Cup playoffs. He got to the finals once with uh, Philly, was two games away from a Stanley Cup ring, probably would have won the, uh, or was up for the Conn Smythe that year. He's just an unbelievable playoff performer. And uh, his career chronicled Phoenix, Coyotes, the Buffalo Sabres, where he was co-captain with Chris Drury, uh, onto the Bu Philadelphia Flyers, went on to Montreal, uh, finished his career in Colorado. Uh, this is a really, really good interview. I love his story, the mindset aspect that he had to go through, what he what he had to learn to become a pro, and how to how he had to craft his game outside of the rink to really let himself flourish on the ice and to let him know that he believed and he was in the right spot. Uh, there's so much good stuff in this interview. I'm so glad you're with me, uh, and I'm so glad Danny was uh, able to do this. So, uh, without further ado, I give you Danny Briere. Let's dive in. Um, Danny, awesome to have you on. I really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy guy. Uh, I know you're, well, you're in the hockey world still. Maybe we should touch on that. Where are you, like, what office are you sitting in there right now? So right now I'm in uh, Philadelphia at the Wells Fargo Center where the, the Flyers play. Um, I'm hired by the, uh, by the Philadelphia Flyers or Comcast Spectacore is the, uh, the company that owns uh, the Flyers, the Wells Fargo Center. They own... Um, uh, also, like the the lacrosse team, the Wings, um, they own um, uh, an esports team at called the Fusion, yeah. and also an ECHL team, which is Double uh, A hockey, uh, the main Mariners, and that's what I'm in charge of. Um, so I travel between uh, Portland, Maine, and uh, Philadelphia quite a bit, especially during the uh, the hockey season. And um, our players have to report tomorrow um, for training camp. Um, 
we start on the ice uh, on Wednesday. So it's a, it's a big week, a lot, lots going on. Yeah. Being sent down from the American League. So we, we are trying to figure our roster because uh, we have a gap. We have a limited amount of uh, numbers that we can have on, uh, on a roster uh, during the season. But you have to deal with uh, call-ups and injuries, uh, both at the NHL level and the American League level. So you're, you're always scrambling. You start the season, we, you have way too many players. And then, you know, two months in, you're scrambling to find players. So you right. so it's, uh, right. it's challenging, but it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, that's super interesting. Hockey's still a big part of your life. Um, I know a lot of guys, you know, they go through that. They know one thing, which is hockey as a player. And then it's it's so ingrained in us that we, you know, we, we stay around the game. And what I find interesting with you right now, and I don't want to get too much into where you're at now, because I think your story, uh, you know, your, your, your career, your personal career being a player is super interesting and compelling for the people who are listening today. But you actually aren't involved where you're at with the hockey side necessarily, right? You're more, you're more corporate doing the business deals, aren't you? Correct. So I'm, I'm learning. I'm involved with both sides. And at the minor league level, you can do that uh, a lot more. So I'm, I'm involved because I have a good relationship with, with the coach. I'm also the general manager. Uh, but a lot of my, um, uh, I guess, dealings on a daily basis has to do with um, our people in the front office. Uh, right. uh, goes as far as ticket sales, uh, goes marketing. So it's, uh, you know, <laughs> new stuff uh, for yeah. me and, and even what's interesting uh, this year is I'm um, <clears throat> I'm going to be taking some classes uh, at uh, University of Pennsylvania here in, in Philadelphia uh, uh, you know on in business school uh, for, right. uh, to help me uh, get more knowledge and uh, get to know a little bit more be more comfortable with with all the dealings that I have to do every day right. uh, oh well, good for you I mean that's a testament to uh, I mean, that's a testament to you and what I know of you is, I mean, you're always trying to get better and, you know, try, trying to improve. And, and I don't think that ever stops, right? No matter whatever age you're at. We're yeah, curious I like, about the, challenge. I like yeah. the challenge of, uh, you know, going into an area that I'm, I'm not comfortable. I'm not as well uh, versed, I guess, as, as the hockey world. But yeah. uh, challenge to be able to uh, to sit in, in meetings and in boardrooms and, and discuss the uh, business side of it. Sure. Yeah. It's a different world. Well, let's dig in. I mean, here I am talking with a guy who played 973 games, right? Almost 700, almost 700 points, um, had a real long, successful career, but you know, there were times where maybe you feel that wasn't going to happen, you know, and I know, I know you well enough to know that there was, there was some adversity in your story. And, and that's the case with a lot of guys, right? Uh, very few guys go through a professional career without experiencing something. I'd like to take it all the way back, even to junior to start out in junior because um, just an illustrious junior career, right? Playing in the queue, you played in Drummondville. Um, geez, like how many points did you have there? I think it was a hundred like 163 one year. That was your draft year, right? 163 yeah, points. Yeah, um, boy, a lot of things must have been going right that year for you. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the junior at, at the junior level, um, you know, things went pretty smoothly on the ice. Uh, what I had to deal with at, at that level was mostly people um, like hockey experts saying I was I was never going to make it to to the next level. Um, you know, when I was midget to play in major juniors and when I was major juniors just to make the Canadian team for the world juniors, uh, the following year to, you know, get drafted and then to the American league. And everybody was always questioning if I'd be able to take, take the next step. So that was probably mentally my, my biggest challenge. Um, I didn't have a lot of hurdles, uh, on the ice. Things were, were going extremely well. Um, you know, 
almost it almost wasn't good because when I started facing those hurdles at the NHL or at the, the pro level, uh, I just wasn't maybe as prepared um, for it. But right. the I was facing were more mental, uh, were off the ice, um, and I, I learned at an early age how to deal with that when when people were questioning uh, my size, especially. Um, you know, I learned how to use that and turn that into uh, motivation and. Right wrong so so I had I, I was able to to figure that out early on but then when I turned pro and, and things were not running as smoothly when the coach has you know guys that are uh, getting paid more money than you uh, or uh, you know or first round pick that should be playing on the power play and you're not on the power play and, and you're questioning why for um, yeah. you know uh, hurdles that I wasn't prepared when I when I turned pro and yeah. probably part of the reason why it took me almost three and a half years to uh, get us kind of solidify my, really my spot in the NHL and have, yeah. uh, have my career started in the NHL. Right. No, that's great. That's, I, I totally want to, I totally want to get there, but I think what you touched on already, I mean, you were a small guy in a big man's game back in the, you know, the nineties. That was, that was when the league was big. That was when we were still allowed to hook and hold. I mean, there was a lot of things that were going against you from this, from the, from the size standpoint. But then I, I look at your stats and it's saying that you're, you're 5'10", 180. Are, are you 5'10"? Is that, is that a little bit, were you wearing <laughs> heels that day? Yeah. <laughs> That's my hockey card. Um, I'm I'm five nine, five eight and three quarters to be exact. Gotcha. Uh, so so five, five, yeah, so five eight and three quarters. So, and there's some. I mean, it is a smaller man's game now. Obviously, skill is king right now. If you're fast and you can play, you I mean you, you have more of a chance. So you're fighting an uphill battle there. Um, what do you say to the young guys, or what do you say to yourself? Like, how do you build that mental toughness, that resiliency, when everyone's telling you, "Hey, you're not big enough." You're, you're going to get pushed around. You don't have the strength. I don't care how many points you score. You're not going to be able to do it at the next level. Did that build a chip on your shoulder or, or how did you, how did you handle that? It did. It did. And then first of all, you, you pick, you pick someone that, that, that you like. So there was a few players. So for me growing up, I mean, guys like Matt Naslin and, and Pat Lafontaine uh, were examples of, of small guys that were make, be able to make a difference on, on a nightly basis. And then right around my time, you had guys like Steve Sullivan um, and you had a Marty St. Louis um, who guys looking up to and say, okay, these guys can do it. I, I can also, um, that's one part of the process. I think uh, the other part the like you mentioned, the chip on the shoulder, um, you know, I was able, what I would do is I would cut clips whenever someone said something negative about me, I would cut and keep them on my bedside. And then every now and then just kind of look back at it. Um, and I turned those negative comments into uh, my own personal motivation. I used it as a positive um, to, to prove them wrong. I wanted to prove people wrong. Uh, that was a big thing. Um, that and was that's as a teenager? That's as a junior you were doing I, that? I started, yeah, I started dealing with that or doing that probably around 16, 17 years old. Um, right. that's, that, it worked for me, um, you know, that I felt like that was my fuel um, and, and that chip on a, my shoulder that, okay, you know what? You think that? Well, I'm, I'm going to prove Yeah. So you, um, you know, so that that was that's what I, I used early on to, uh, to to prove people wrong and to get me fired up even more. Gotcha. Did you have a pretty good support base growing up? Like, I mean, you obviously have that resolve. That I mean, there, there's there's something about you um, on an innate level. I'm sure that just you got a little fire there. But did you ever have some support, whether it's from a coach or whether it's from your parents or somebody along the way that kind of helped you build that resolve? 
Uh, yes, uh, there's many coaches, um, you know, and, and I always had when, when you're, you know, a, a good player, coach, coaches will try to help you. Uh, so I've, I was fortunate. I was put in good positions by, by the coaches as well. So, um, yeah, I had a lot of coach that, that wanted to help me, uh, that, that did help me. Um, but I, I didn't have any uh, specialist at the time uh, when I was 16, 17, 18 years old. Okay, uh, let, let's work on this on the mental side. Came yeah. later uh, when I started my pro career. Right. So um, one of the ones that I was I was involved in a little bit, and that's where you and I first met, um, was at the World Junior Combine. So like they, they had just started doing uh, instead of just doing a selection camp, they would they would bring their top guys to this thing around Christmas time or whatever. Actually, it was before I think it was in November or something where we would get together and they would actually pick that last team. Yeah. We do some red white games and everything else and. And you know the way the world works back then. When you're a junior kid, you know, I mean, we didn't have a chance from the Western League to see you guys in Quebec. You didn't have a chance to see us. Um, we had the OHL guys, but we all knew of each other. You know, we all yeah. knew sort of what was going on. And and uh, and you were a you were a big name, right? I mean, you came in with uh, with all these points. You you had been invited as a really as an underage guy, essentially. Um, and then. And then you're one of these final cuts, you know, and, and just walk us through. And that was my year. And I believe you came the year after as well um, yeah. and try it out again as, for the third time. And uh, I just walk me through that whole scenario. Because I know being a Canadian kid, being a top junior, that is something that I think that we've all dreamed of doing and being able to participate in. And, yeah. um, and then looking at you and, and where you ended up and all these accolades that you had. But that was the one little nugget that you kind of just never happened. I just wonder how that if you could talk through that a little bit. Yeah, well, it, it was it was interesting because at first, I mean, first of all, for for any Canadian kids, um, you know, the World Junior Championship is huge. Everybody watches at that Christmas time, and I think in in the U.S. now it's it's getting even more important. You, you see a lot more kids now uh, seeing how important, and the U.S. team, U.S. Junior team, has done really well uh, lately. So um, there, there's a lot more people paying attention to it. So growing up, I, I always dreamed of one day playing on, on us junior team. Um, so my, my rookie year as a 17 year old, you know, being invited, being into consideration was, was a big deal. Uh, but I didn't expect to make the team. My second year still underage as a 18 year old. Um, I, I thought I had a really, really good shot. Um, but I, I realized pretty quickly when I showed up at camp, when at the time I was only 140, uh, 40 pounds. It's tough. it's tough to compete when you're you're facing men now, the best of the best, and, and you know, and they're they're all hovering around 200 uh, to 210 pounds. Um, yeah. it, it was tough to compete, and I realized that I needed to to get stronger. But I still believed I could make the team. So, being the last cut was uh, was pretty uh, gut wrenching. Um, I, I thought it was going. I thought I was going to be part of it. Um, and you know, it, it was tough to take and a quick, funny story is we had roommates, you know, and you get the call and the first call that came, uh, well, I tell, could, but I want to slow you down for one second because, because tell everybody like when this call comes, like that whole thing is, is, I don't know, I hope they don't do it the same way now, but like just walk, walk everyone through how that was. Yeah. So back then they would, um, you had a roommate and then all the cuts. Um, and usually I think on the last day there was four cuts left. Um, to get down to 22 or 23 players. Um, and, and they give you a call at 5.30 in the morning, between 5 and 5.30, to get you out of the hotel and on your way before the media gets up. So you 
want to get you away from the team. So uh, around 5.15, the phone rang, and, you know, I thought it was for me, and I picked up, and he asked me for my roommate. I, you know, I, I made the, the, you know, sad face, and I gave him the phone and felt bad for him. Um, and then about 10 minutes later, the phone uh, again rang in the room, and I was looking around. There was no one else to pass the phone. <laughs> I knew it was my, my turn. Um, so it was, it was pretty sad. It was, uh, it was tough to take. Um, you know, and I went home. Um, I was drafted that, uh, that following, uh, spring or summer. Um, and I was reinvited and finally my third try, I was able to, to make the team and, uh, as a 19 year old play for team Canada. Um, uh, our year was in Switzerland. Um, it was, uh, five, we, we won the fifth gold medal. Uh, in a row. So that was, that was pretty cool. But uh, I remember the year before it was pretty tough to, to right. get really That's great that you got that fifth goal. Yeah. So we won the fourth in Boston there. And then, so you were with Brad Larson um, and he was the captain of that team, I believe when you were That's there. Right. Was that Mike Babcock as well? Who was the coach then? Yeah. Mike Babcock was, uh, was the coach, uh, Brad Larson um, and, and their line. They were, they were our checking line, him, Boyd Devereaux, um, and Alan McCauley. Um, I think they all played the year before, if uh, if I remember, yeah. in Boston. Right. Too. Yeah. Um, and uh, they played a critical role. Um, they were a shutdown uh, line and, uh, in the semifinals against the Russians. They scored uh, two big goals in the third period to, uh, to get us a win 3-2. So That's awesome. The experience uh, really helps at that level with when you face it the year before. And those three guys together played, uh, played extremely well. Right. No, that's great. And just a little interesting side note that um, Brad and I like, grew up playing hockey together. So like our town, Vernon, where we're both from, 40,000 people. And um, for that town to produce two two players that played in the World Junior Team together was pretty crazy. And then Brad went on to play a second one and to captain the team. So um, that was really, really cool. Um, obviously, that he was able to do that in the, under that spotlight. And he was just always one of those guys um, – they kind of found a way to get it done, right? And and one of those guys, you know, he, I think he had that, he earned that letter on his chest, that's for sure. And he just kind of, that's the way he went about it. Um, what's, what's impressive with Brad is just his leadership qualities. Um, you know, he's he's a guy that brings everybody together, uh, makes everybody play uh, for each other. And that's that's what he was so good at. Um, you know, may, maybe not the, the most natural skills, but compensates for it by by his leadership. Uh, yeah. or more States for it. I mean, it's, yeah. it's impressive and, um, Know, probably one of the best captain Canada's had at, at the World Junior Championship. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, and that's uh, something that I'd, l- I'd love to touch on too. Even once we get more into your career and wearing that C and what uh, you know, what leadership means to you, and, and what uh, what you think you know, certain guys embody it and what what traits those are, what leadership traits are. Because everyone has a little different take of it, I think. But let's go. Okay, so now you've been this you've been this junior star. You end up getting drafted in the first round um, to uh, to the Coyotes. Um, a testament to you, uh, and a testament to your size. So even that era, I mean, to go to go that high um, of of your stature was. I mean, that's how much you crushed it, right? So that was that was a big deal. That draft in itself, were you? Was that building that chip on your shoulder because you still you had so much success, and yet you still went twenty fourth or whatever it was in, in the draft. <laughs> Where you I mean, if you were six foot or two hundred, I'm sure you'd have been top three, right? With those types of numbers. So, like, how did how did that work for you in your head? You know, in in my head, I was prepared to go uh, middle of the second round um, from the comments that I, that I was hearing. And at that point, I didn't have any control over anything. Um, you know, what was done on the ice was done. I couldn't change anything. Um, I was at at their mercy. So I was 
you know, I, I, in my head, it was fine. I was going to go somewhere uh, from the beginning of the second round to the mid-second round. That were, that's where my rank was. Um, I knew some of the teams that, that were interested, and that was the range they, you know, they had kind of let me know right. that going. Um, so to be able to go in, in the first round, um, you know, I didn't care. That was, to me, like a big uh, – a big jump. I was extremely happy about it. Um, yes, I did would hear all the comment that if you know if I was a couple inches taller, twenty pounds heavier, um, yeah. I would the top five or top ten. Um, but it, it didn't matter. Um, I was so excited to have the chance to be you know selected. Yeah. Um, I was ecstatic about it. So I didn't as uh, as anything bad. And uh, what's funny is the Coyotes had uh, two two picks in uh, in that draft. They had uh, the 11th pick, and they picked the biggest guy in the first round, Dan Fote, who was 6'6". Six, six. Yeah. Uh, and they also picked the, the smallest guy. That's funny. The 24th pick. So, uh, there you go. They had both sides covered. Yeah, did they ever. Um, I don't, want to, I don't want to touch on it for too long, but I think there's going to be a lot of kids that are interested even how that draft process works. I know uh, I think your draft year is right after mine, and we would all go into you know the, the town or the city a couple of days beforehand, and the teams would do their, their final interview process, essentially. They'd all have different ways of doing it. Some, some teams might have you know, had 10 scouts in the room plus the GM. Some, some teams only had their top guys. I mean, everyone handled it differently, and even like the way they – they would interview you, I found was very different. And I, and I myself felt that boy, like some, some places I walked out of being like, why did I even go in there? Like those guys hate me, you know? And then other places were like, Oh, that felt good. Like it was such a weird experience for me. Did you like, what was your takeaway from that experience? It was, it's the same thing. There's, there's teams where you haven't, I was wondering why I even went, uh, all they did was criticized my play, criticized, all I was and I, I wouldn't be able to bring anything um, there's other place you would go and they would put you through some workouts um, that you don't understand what it would even help for yeah uh, the team put me they all they wanted was um, to, for me to take a test a mental test uh, and have their psychologist kind of look it over um, you know so it, it was everybody had their their own different ways of, of doing right. it um, so it was it was very interesting um, you know, and, but at the end of the day, the team that had shown me the most interest, um, is the team that ended up, uh, selecting me. So oh, I was going to say, cause sometimes that's different too for guys. So you did feel that Phoenix was interested or they were Phoenix at the time and then they're the ones who end up getting you. Correct. So yeah. there's, there's players sometimes that they, they have no idea that a certain team likes them and, and they select them. Um, yeah. You know, in, in my case, it was uh, the, the team that had shown me the most interest was the Phoenix Coyotes. And, um, yeah, they selected me uh, with their second pick in the first round. That's great. Yeah, that's a pretty pretty awesome day, um, generally speaking, for guys, right? Yeah. I mean, your whole junior career is really built around that. Everyone wants to get drafted and to go there and, and have a, a story that you feel good about is, is awesome. Um, now, let's... Let's even move forward. So now you're drafted. You had one more year of junior after you got drafted, right before you were able to go uh, pro. Uh, is yeah. that right? Yeah. So you got drafted. I had one more year. That's the year that I went to the world championship. Yeah. Right. And you went to the world championship that year. And then you come out and we go to Springfield. So it's your first, well, I wouldn't say your first, you would have had your first camp the year before. Right, yeah. so you would have went to a camp out of would have went to a camp on the main camp. That's an interesting experience. I don't want to spend too long there, but I mean, wow, right? That's a big wow factor for all yeah. walking in there. But now you're second. You're stepping in there with your um, with your second year, and 
and you probably think you got a chance, right? I mean, I assume you're walking into camp thinking, you know what, I'm going to make this team. I'm a first rounder, had another successful junior career, won a gold medal, right? All these things you're feeling good about yourself. And just give me an idea of your mindset and sort of what you were feeling about that second camp. Well, you have to go in and believe you have a chance to make it. Um, realistically, I knew that they probably wanted me to play at least one year in the minors uh, because of my size, especially. So I, I was aware of that. Uh, it wasn't a big surprise when, when they sent me down. Uh, no. But camp, I, I believe I could surprise them. I, could, I believe I could um, you know, make something happen and, and really work my way on, onto the team. Uh, but clearly, when I, when I look back, I, I was far from ready, uh, both physically and mentally, to, to compete against right. Uh, at that level and it was it was the best thing for me to to start in the minors and um, you know going there and realizing what it takes to play pro because even the American League is a tough league um, early on I was struggling uh, didn't understand why um, but it was it was the best thing because in the American League they'll keep you know, they, they just kept putting me back on the ice, even though I, uh, I would make mistakes, I would, it would cost us goals, sometimes games. Um, you know, the next day you're back on uh, one of the top units on the power play uh, in the top six and you're, you're back out there and it's about development. Um, yeah. Like the NHL where if you don't perform, you're relegated to the bench uh, or the, the press box. Uh, no, uh, I was right back on the ice and, and that was – a big part, a huge part in, in my development that, uh, you know, sometimes young players don't understand. Uh, it'd be better to be in the NHL uh, sitting in the press box or, or on the bench. Um, but having that, that year to play and play a ton uh, was was way better because uh, I, I kept improving. I kept getting better and, and trying things and making mistakes and going back out there and learning. Um, a, a huge step uh, for my development. I think there's a big distinction now, though. Like, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna call you, call you out on one thing. Cause now you're, you're I mean, you're 43 or what are you, 43? 43, 40, no, 41 still. Don't, oh, don't. For coming up 42. That's right. You're, you're, you're gonna be 42 soon. Right. So, 41 year old man, right? Father, now you got kids of your own. You've been through it. You, you, you have the ability to look back and reflect. Now, I'm gonna challenge you and say, 20 year old Daniel Briere in the minors with 92 points in 68 games, doesn't think that's the best thing for him. Correct. Correct. Right? Uh, so, like, and that's the thing that I think these, like, young, and myself included, right? Like, I think it's yeah. a testament to guys who want to get somewhere. They think that they shouldn't be there, that they should be somewhere else, right? Um, what would be, like... I, I was wondering, I was wondering why they would call up other guys that were playing on the third line and, you know, had 10 goals that year. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I couldn't understand that. Um you know, but looking back, like things were going so well, they didn't want to disrupt anything. They knew if they called me up to play on the fourth line, maybe a little bit of power play here and there. And at the time, especially where uh, they only called one or two penalties a game, um, you know, that there just wasn't any use for me to come and sit on the bench. Uh, at the time, I was I was wondering, just like everybody else, you, you wonder, why am I not getting called up? What, what else do I need to do? Um but it was the best thing for me to, uh, right. and uh, I, you know, if I saw Bobby Smith today, um, I'd be the first one to, uh, to admit that he, he did the right thing. Right. Yeah. And that's interesting though, because I think 
uh, and you at the time, I know we've had a discussion about that before. And I know myself included, I, I hope things have changed a bit, but like there was zero communication about that. Like what we're just talking about, right? That this is being done because it's in your best interest. So we feel it's in your best interest. And you might not believe us, but I mean, like, you know, like just having those conversations, you're just stuck there. You're yeah. doing whatever you think you can do. And, and you're kind of in this vacuum and you're left to be, you know, mentally tough, if that's like the right word. I don't know if it is or not, but I just, I think that people don't really understand how, how that works. I don't think players understand that coming out of junior. And I don't think like the common parent or like just spectator gets, gets what it's like to be that kid who's trying to get somewhere and nobody's talking to him really. Right. You're just doing your thing. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was lacking back then. And there's teams that do a better job with it nowadays, but there's still areas, there's still players um, that are wondering what's going on. And I think um, as we move forward, that's certainly something I would like to work on with, with a certain team. If I could help that, I know that's an area I could, I could help guys. Um, and, and I know that's what you're trying to do as well. And I think it's, it's so important, but people don't realize mentally how much of a relief it is to have someone that's been there to understand what they've gone through and to make them understand, um, you know, a little better of what's expecting of them, uh, what's expected of them and, and, you know, what's, what's it going to do for them in the long term? Because we want, especially nowadays, we want everything right now. We want to be in we want to be on the power play. We want to be on the first line right away. Uh, sometimes even before we deserve it. Uh, have someone that you can talk to that you can uh, have explained to you why uh, certain things are done that way. Um, I, I wish, I wish I, I would have had that um, to, to, you know, maybe get away from all the stress, uh, yeah. not stressed about it. Um, you, you know, you, you can have people say, I hey, just take, like the GM would say to, and you've probably heard it too, is, uh, just go into minors. Your time will come. Don't worry <laughs> about from your, you're, you're going to make it. Well, yeah, more than that, I, I want to know, like, why am I going to make it? Why are you so sure? Uh, yeah. What do I work on? What uh, What are the expectations? Why are you me down when I, I feel like I'm ahead of uh, other guys? Um, so I think, yeah, there's teams that are doing a better job, but there's still a lot of improvement that can be done. Sure. Because yeah. there is, yeah, there's just a lot of gray area. And, and, and that's one of the things I want to touch on. I know, I know you, you ended up playing with, with Doan, Shane Doan, um, you know, potentially a, a hall of fame type guy career, you know, played a long time. Um, j- just a real icon there, especially in Arizona. And, uh, and when he came down, so he was a first overall pick uh, or first round pick. I think he was seventh overall to Winnipeg. Right. Winnipeg obviously that franchise comes down to Phoenix. Um, I don't know how well you knew him or didn't know him, but I do know that you guys played, um, Donor played as an eighteen as an eighteen year old in the NHL. Played as a nineteen year old in the NHL. Maybe even part of a third season. I think if I got my numbers right. And then he came down and played with you guys in Springfield. So you're leading yeah. that in points, right? You're you're the you're an also a first round pick. This Western League, this big burly farm boy comes in. Have yeah. I mean doing okay? But I mean, if I looked at his stats, I could. I was just trying to put myself in your position, right? You I mean Donor had roughly about a point a game. You're about a point and a half a game. Um, you know, he's got all these NHL experience. You're kind of outperforming him and he goes up again and off he goes and he's in the show. And I don't know like that dynamic there, but like, how did you, were you guys buddies at that point or were you adversaries or like, can you describe how that relationship started? Well, well, first of all, Shane Doan might be, um, the best human being, uh, in the hockey world. 
I don't think I've met a better human being um, in the hockey world. Um, Shane and I are, are pretty tight. We're really good friends. Um, and, and that started, uh, I got to meet him at, at the camp for World Juniors in, in uh, 95 or 96, when you, the year that you went to Boston. Uh, we hit it off in Calgary that summer, uh, him and I, and then I ended up uh, being drafted by the Coyotes. And um, that continued when, uh, when I went to camp. And then uh, my second year pro, I made the team and I spent uh, pretty much all my, my road trips with, uh, with Shane. Um, and, and he was, you know, even though we were the same age, he was already uh, such a great leader and a mentor uh, for me trying to make me feel better about how things were going. And, and even though he was struggling on his side to, to perform, he always took the time to make everybody around him feel like uh, they were the best thing around. Um, so I, I, I had a lot of respect. He, him and I were really good friends. Um, so when he, he got sent down, and I, I got sent down first that year, and then uh, he was sent down after me. And, and I know he was really upset about it, but the one thing that he was excited is that uh, he was coming and we could play together again. And, um, uh, you know, they put us, we were playing together. We were actually on, on the second line because we had, we had Chad Kilger, who's also a first round pick. He was fourth overall, I think, to Anaheim a few years before he was on, on our team and he was running the first line. So we had a very, uh, uh, very good team in, in the minors, but, you know, and you can ask Shane Doan when you see him. But he said like that's probably the most fun he's ever had playing hockey. Those three months that he was down in the minors, uh, because again he could just go out there, play about twenty five minutes a night, make mistakes, and not care about it. Um, and I think for his development, um, again, once again, it, it was amazing. It, it turned it turned him around. He went back and and he knew he could score and he could pr play at the pr uh, at the pro level, the same game that he played in juniors before. Um, you know, and, and he was called back up and, and never came back down after that. I followed him uh, a couple of years later, but uh, once again, for his development, it, it was, uh, you know, a huge part of the story why he became such a great player. Uh, but in the moment, I'm sure he had also had a tough time to see through that. Right. Yeah. Let me looking at his stats there too, is, I mean, I always find that interesting like that. Uh, everyone has a, has, has a different storyline, right? I mean, he played, he played two years there and kind of had zero impact really at the NHL level. He was a young kid, but like, again, he was on the fourth line, I'm sure, or probably in those scenarios, not really. And, and is that best for his development? What's happening to his confidence and what's happening to all those things? He goes down, makes the most of it. Obviously he goes down with a good attitude. Um, probably a testament to Shane, like you said, the fact that he even stayed in the show was probably because he was such a good guy. You know, I mean, he wasn't maybe producing, doing what he wanted, but he was just a good guy in the locker room, a good guy to be around. So they kept him there. Um, and everybody then, loved him. Yeah. Right. Everybody loves them. And I mean, that's, that's the thing I talk to my guys about too, is the fact that it is, it's a people sport at the end of the day. I mean, you can be as yeah. good as you want, you can be as great as you want, but people need to like you, you know, like, that's an element, right? You got to be a good teammate. The coach has got to care about you, right? The organization has to care about you. And if you can have that's all, such, you know, yeah, right? that's such a good point. And, and we don't talk about that enough. Um, you know, when, when you're a good teammate, everybody around you, your teammates will do everything in their power to help you out. And, and, and hockey is a team sports more than any other sports, uh, any of the major sports. Uh, you can't do anything on your own. You need your teammates around you. So if, when you're a good teammate, everybody around you is going to want to help you. The coaches are going to want to help you. The trainers are going to want to help you and they, they'll want you to succeed. So it's extremely important. And I feel it's something we don't talk about enough. 
Right. Yeah. And because uh, we do get caught in our own worlds, like, you know, trying to be the best player individual we can be right. And what our stat line looks like and how we're trying to get ahead. And for those guys in the minors that are listening to this right now, I think that's, well, I mean, it happens at the NHL level too, because everyone's looking for more dollars. Everyone wants to somebody else's minutes, you know, like the, there is that element to it. And when you're in the minors, it's especially hard because you all, you're all in the, you're not where you want to be, period. You don't want to be, you didn't play hockey from the time you were five years old to go play the minors for the Springfield Falcons, right? Like you, you want to be in the NHL and you feel like you need to put yourself one leg up on those guys. But if we can change that perspective of like, you know what, if this guy's better, it makes me better. And it makes, you know, like that whole mentality of that team culture is it's tough to, it's tough to really get your head around. But once you do it, you become a better human and a better person and a better player. Yeah. And I, and believe me, I've seen players on the flip side. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to use names here, um, but I've, I've seen players that were just not good teammates, only cared about themselves and um, have their career shortened and, and left a lot of dollars uh, on the table because um, they were not good teammates. They only cared about themselves and other players felt it. Um, and were not going willing to go the extra distance to, to help them out. Uh, so yeah. you're totally right about it. It's a big deal. Um, one of the things I know when you were going through uh, some of your stuff there in the minors and you were trying to get your foothold and, um, you know, get to where you wanted to be, which is the NHL. Um, you told me that story about the sports psychologist that, that you met uh, or were introduced to at least. And, and I really think that's an interesting story, even the way he approached you and then some of the stuff that he, he helped you with. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, maybe maybe share, share that about how that introduction was made and, and that first sort of 48 hours um, uh, of, of that after that introduction. Yeah. So that, that was, that was very interesting. Um, you know, like I said earlier in juniors, early in the minors, things went really smoothly on the ice for me. But when I, every time I would get to the NHL, I just could not be the, or the same player. I could not, you know, produce at the same level. Um, <coughs> sorry that I was, you know, when I played uh, in the AHL or in juniors. So that was very frustrating. Um, uh, the owner of the Phoenix Coyotes at the time, Mr. Berg approached me one day and he said, um, Danny, I have a friend of mine who's a uh, sports psychologist and uh, I would really like you to spend, um, spend time with him and go see him in, in his office. And I was like, sure. Like at this point, I'm willing to try anything. And, uh, I, in uh, to Gary Mack's office and uh, we started talking <coughs> and Gary asked me to describe myself, how things were going and uh, what, what was, you know, holding me back, you know, and I started uh, kind of going around the room, blaming everybody else from my teammates to my coaches, to the referees, to anybody that I could point the finger. <laughs> and uh, he kind of let me talk and, um, after about half an hour, he stopped me and, and he said, he said, all right, we're, we're pretty much done here. Uh, but all you've done is complain about the people around you. Um, he says, I want you to go home and, and think about that and, and start looking at yourself. Um, he says, I, I think part of the problem is you. You're, you're looking elsewhere, but you're the problem maybe. And um, he says, I want you to go home and uh, call me back when you're, you're ready to, uh, to, to take our, our next meeting. And I remember driving home and at night, uh, that night, you know, in bed thinking how wrong he was and how clueless he was. Uh, he hadn't listened to anything I was telling him. Everybody, everybody, it was everybody else's fault around me. Right. Um, you know, and I slept on it. And uh, a couple days later, I started, because you know, I couldn't get it out of my head. And I, I kept thinking about it. And, and finally, 
kind of came, came to grips that, you know what, maybe he was right. Maybe there was something there. So uh, about two and a half days later, I finally grabbed the phone and uh, called him back and said I, I was ready to, uh, to take the next step and go back in the office and learn a little bit more about what he had told me. Right. Point on, it changed everything. Um, uh, the way I saw things, um, the way I was, uh, well, it basically changed my career uh, from that point on because I went back and um, made me realize that, you know, and it's so obvious, but when you're in it, you don't realize um, that you can only control what you can control. You can't control what the coach thinks and what line he's going to play you on. You can't control the players you're going to play with. You can't control what calls the referees are going to make. Um, but I spent so much energies, you know, just looking to blame something else um, and find excuses. Um, and from that point on, he, you know, made me concentrate on myself. Worry about what you can worry, change what you can change when it's time. Um, you know, so that was one of the, of the example. Um, he also, me and, and um, we came to a routine where when I would walk into a dressing room, I would leave all my problems away from the rink in my locker room. So as soon as I would take my street clothes off, um, that would go in the locker room and that would stay there. And then I became... Danny Briere, the hockey player, the warrior that would go on the ice and play and forget about all the other problems. Um, so that's something that I had to, to work on every day coming to the rink. And at first it was tough. You know, I'd forget sometimes. Um, but you, I came to a point where it, it was just, it just happened. Um, yeah. After 25, I was 30. I was 35 years old. I was still doing that. Um, it just became part of my routine on, on a daily basis. Um, early in my career, when I wasn't playing a lot, uh, he, he taught me um, how to take some mental shifts. So if you're sitting on the bench and you're out playing, so you don't lose the feel of the game, you take someone on your team and you just follow them. Follow them with your eyes and pretend you're that that player. So for me, Jeremy Roenick was uh, my example on, on a lot of nights when, uh, you know, in the second half of the game, if I wasn't being used as much to not lose the feel in case they needed me late in the game. Well, I would follow and take mental shifts with you. Uh, that yeah. helped me a lot. Um, another thing is everybody's different as far as um, how intense they need to be. So obviously a guy who's out there has to, to hit a lot and fight. Um, he needs to be um, on a scale of one to 10. Uh, his energy level needs to be at 10 every time he hits the ice. Um, in a player like myself, or if I use, let's say, a goalie. Well, a goalie cannot be a 10. He needs to be relaxed. He needs to be in control. He probably wants to be uh, at a 3, 2, 3, 4 level uh, on that scale. Right. So, um, you know, we figured that the best level for me is I need to be intense, but also in control. So if I got the puck, uh, I didn't want to be one of those guys that would just slap it around and get rid of it. I needed to control the puck, make plays. So I needed to slow it down. So we figured that seven or eight on uh, my energy level, uh, that's where I needed to be. So it's managing that, controlling that. Um, and also when, when you're a young player, um, and I'm, I, I was the same, I thought, okay, I'm going into a game and the coach wants me to back check hard. He wants me to be the best on the face off. He wants me to check and be the defensive player. I also I can't lose the third man. <laughs> I can't turn the puck over. Blue line is ex extremely important. I get in the offensive zone. Now I got to fight through my checks. Um, I, you know, I can't 
if there's two guys low, I can't go and jump in. I got to stay high as well. I can't pass up an opportunity. Every time I'm in this area, I have to shoot. So now I had like 15 things that I was going into a game thinking about, okay, I can't forget this. I can't forget that. And I was overwhelmed. Um, with, with Gary, we came every game. It was different points, but we would have two, three points max. So every time I let into a game, he said, you know what you need to do. Now focus on two, three things maximum. So let's say I want to be the fastest skater when I'm out there and I got to check well. So that's it. That's all I worried about. In between shifts, I come back to the bench. You let go of the negatives. You refocus. What are your two key points for tonight? Okay, I got to skate hard. I got to be the fastest and I got to check well. And then that's, right. it keeps Because the brain, the brain can't handle it all, right? I mean, and that's the – that's the – it's one thing I talk about again and again and again. One is like, first of all, to find that preparation that works for you. Like you said, like there's different guys going to prepare differently, but there is, there is a mechanism to, for high performance that's going to work for you. Right. And there is a way to get that done. And, and once you have that, uh, once you have that toolkit right now, you're able to go perform, right? You're not, it, it's not just figure it out. Right. And I, I think that's the way you and I, that's where we were brought up. Like we went to junior, we watched these guys that would eat, eat pasta before the game. Then everyone would have a nap and then you show up at the rink and, and you'd yeah. play. There, there was yeah. no process, right? There was no like, Hey, how are we going to do this? And if you want to do it at a top level, you want to be elite. There is a process. There's correct? a process and there's a plan. And yeah. that's what I realized working with, with Gary Mack and um, it completely changed my career. Those are just examples of, of things. And, and, you know, I could rattle off another five or six uh, quickly like this, but those, those were part of the plan that, that helped me become um, a better player, better prepared. Um, you know, and, and I, I would get on the ice after that and I looked across and, and I, I would see, uh, you know, a, a guy like yourself who's twice my size, but in my mind, I was better prepared. I was better equipped and I was mentally stronger than the guy that I was facing. So I wasn't worried. I wasn't worried that the guy was, yeah. um, you know, that confidence was, was a, a, a huge part of my turnaround, even though it, it took a while. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah. And I well, was that's the word Danny right there. I don't want to cut you off, but that word confidence, we've only used it a couple of times, but like, I think it's so important just to point that out and shine a light on it because a lot of people think about confidence in the idea that, you know, once I've scored 20 goals in the NHL, I've gotten the results. Now I have confidence to be in the NHL, right? But that, that's, that might not happen, right? You might not get an opportunity to get those 20 goals. You have to somehow figure out a way to have confidence before you get the 20 goals, right? And I think you just pointed out right there, like now you feel like you have this advantage. You're preparing, you got this edge. Now you have this inner confidence that allows you to probably go be the player you wanted to be. Was that a big, was that a big turning point for you, that aspect? That was, that was huge. That was, that was, that probably like in my development, one of the most important part of my development, and it wasn't even on the ice, it was off the ice. Um, like you mentioned earlier, like we're, you know, from such an early, early age, we just go and we developed our, our skills on the ice. Um, but what was holding me back was, was off the ice, how to deal with things, how to prepare, how to have a plan to be, to be the best and, and feel like you're the best, you, you know, mentioned right inside you know you have to have that confidence even before you do certain things before you score 20 goals or 30 goals or 40 goals it's the you got to find it somewhere um and, and you know when you have a plan and, and you know how to attack it um it makes it a lot easier yeah no and i think um i don't know it's just it, it's such a 
it's, it's a crazy part of the game that, that, you know, I mean, guys like yourself can speak to it after they've been there. Um, the guys are coming up. Nobody's talking about it. Like there's not, and the coaches can't do it either. Right. Because it's not a thing that a coach can do. It's not a thing that an assistant coach can do. I, I don't know where it gets implanted to be honest, like in the process of becoming a hockey player, like, where does somebody go to learn that preparation, that professionalism, that aspect of the game? I'm not sure. I don't even think it exists. Um, but it is such an, a, a crazy, crucial part. So unless you're motivated as a player, I mean, now there is resources, right? YouTube, you can read books, you can do this, you can do that. Like you can, you can seek it out. But as far yeah. as like the natural arc of a hockey player, it doesn't get talked about. It's crazy. Not enough. That's for sure. And. Yeah teams have started now having sports psychologists, but um, I, I think it's more than that. It's, it's almost, it's like a, it's a mental coach that can really help you with, with all aspects, not, not just the, not just the issues uh, that you're facing when you play. There's issues off the ice. There's issues, like I mentioned with, with preparation, with confidence. Um, yeah. a, a mental coach is, I, I think uh, is something that you're going to see more and more eventually. Yeah. I think that's kind of the next frontier too. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm glad you found that. I was, I mean, just from my own personal side, I never, I never did. I mean, I had, I had my first, well, my, my real chance was like at 20 years old, right? I, I had a really good uh, rookie year in the AHL as well, over a point a game. Like that's the other you mentioned already. That's a tough league. That's a tough league. It doesn't get as much credit as it is. And as a 20 year old to go in there and put up, you know, over a point a game, that's, you're doing well. That's impressive. Oh yeah. But to go then to that next level and to walk into a room and to shake hands with Matt Sundin and Wendell Clark and, and you know, Curtis Joseph and to be roommates with Ty Domi and, I mean, all this stuff. And it's like to, to feel like you belong on that ice, not only with them as line mates, but then to feel like you belong on the ice facing off against Lemieux and Gretzky and these guys that you have hockey cards of and posters in your room. Like it's a, it's a whole nother level. And like that – whether you call it confidence, whether you f- call it comfort, whether you call, I don't know what the right word is, but there is stuff that could be done to get ready for that moment, that experience. And, and I wasn't right. And I'm, I'm glad that you had the opportunity there through the years with Phoenix that they gave you the opportunity to, to kind of find your way there and, and uh, you know, look at the 700 games show for it. Right. And, and the thing, the thing is you don't know if you're ever going to get another chance. You know, right. one chance might be your only chance. You you don't know, and you have to be prepared. I, I was fortunate because, um, you know, I, I, I had probably three or four chances uh, before it clicked. Um, but but you don't know. I, I could have been, you know, just one chance and out. Um, yeah. That's that's why you want players to be ready to go when, when that one chance uh, or that first chance arrives because you don't know if you'll get another one. No, that's huge. You know, and I, and I always thought that you would, I don't know, like just everyone thinks different too. Right. But you I mean, you, you're a guy that's been successful. You're a guy that's been highly touted and regarded and everything seems like the world's aligning and you're performing well. And you're like, Oh, well, you mean like when I, that trade for instance, for me talking personally, I had 10 games in Toronto and it was like, it wasn't awesome. I mean, but it wasn't horrible. It was just like, okay, next year, right. I'm going to be ready next year. Yeah, to have this experience. Shot. Yeah. yeah. All of a sudden the GM gets traded. I mean, I traded gets fired. Right. So there's a new GM, there's a new coach, the whole personnel changes. And it, you I mean, like you said, I mean, you never know when that chance is going to come and it never really came again, regardless of me leading the league of goals or whatever. So that's when I talk to my guys now is like, you know, from my experience, you think there might be endless chances, but you want to be as ready as you can be for whatever opportunity you get, period. You know, Um, as you, I want to get in a little bit because I mean, I love, I love the fact that you're this five foot eight and three quarter guy. Um, (laughs) 
that ends up having this awesome career and you end up being a point guy in the NHL, which is, which is amazing. Not only do you end up being a point guy in the NHL, but you end up having a letter on your chest. And, um, and for a French Canadian, I mean, that one that's rare too, um, by the way, for those in the hockey world, there's not many French Canadian players that end up getting that scenario because just because the language barrier is the biggest thing I would think. But so can you walk me through that? Like how much pride there was or what you felt you did um, as a player to be able to earn the respect of your organization that they wanted, wanted you to, you know, you to represent really the logo on the chest? Well, to backtrack a little bit, I, I remember uh, when I first turned pro, um, I, I didn't speak English and um, Phoenix Coyotes uh, knew that I was, they were going to send me down to the minors and they, they signed a player by the name of Martin Simard. Um, I was uh, 19 years old at the time. Marty was uh, 37 and they signed, they, uh, they sat him beside me in the locker room in the uh, field. And uh, that's kind of where I learned to speak the language. Um, but what was funny is, you know, a lot, a lot of the hockey terms are similar in French and in English. I was able to figure my way out through that and then figure out how to make sentences with the little words in between. Yeah. Uh, holding me back is uh, the jokes and the expressions because I took everything literally. So <laughs> that was quite interesting early on, yeah. uh, you know, and, you know, when I went to Phoenix, I mean, a guy like Shane Doan was a great example of, um, to me, what, what a leader should be when, you know, he cares about his teammates. He wants everybody to be the best that they can be. Um, you know, he, you know, I, I wish I could, you know, be uh, 10% of what Shane Doan was as, as a leader. Um, you know, but, big part of it is when I, when I got traded to Buffalo, um, you know, I, I came with a lot of confidence. The coach started trusting me more and more, uh, got given a lot more responsibilities. Um, you know, and to me, leaders is, is how you deal with responsibilities. Um, you know, do you try to share that with your teammates? Um, do you try to get the teams, uh, your team, your teammates, uh, together even more, or do you want to take that and run by yourself and think you're, you know, better than everybody else? Um, to me, that's, that's one key of the big part of the leadership. And, you know, I always swore that I would be more like Shane Doan, um, and try to get the teams together. Um, I also had a great example in front of me when I got to Buffalo, they also traded for Chris Drury. Um, Chris Drury was, uh, just a natural, natural leader, uh, has won everywhere he's been, um, you know, and I, I started uh, watching him, asking him a lot of questions, um, you know, not, I didn't want to be the exact same leader as Chris. Uh, I wanted to bring my own touch a little bit, um, but there's so many things that, that part of his preparation um, that he was so good at and, and in talking to him, how he wanted to be um, good at, when the game mattered, not when, um, you know, you were down five, nothing, or you, you were up six, one, um, you wanted to be the best player when the game was tied one, one late in the third period, you wanted right. a difference maker. Uh, so I, I learned those traits from, uh, from Chris, uh, learned some really good qualities on, on how to be uh, a leader that uh, gets people together from Shane. And, and you, you know, and then there's a lot of, other people, good people around me that I would, I would look up to and, and try to make my own style. Um, but uh, I really believe that being a good person is the key to, to being a, a good leader. Obviously, there's, there's a lot of little traits around it that yeah. you need to work and navigate through. Um, but at the core, um, to me, preparation and um, you know, care 
uh, caring for for your teammates is uh, is I think part of the two key words yeah. for uh, for leadership. Um, you know, and my I think it was my third year in Buffalo. Uh, the coach called Chris and I, um, Chris Drury and I, in his uh, dressing room, and uh, that's when he kind of told us that we were going to be uh, captains together for the Buffalo Sabers. And my first reaction was to look over at Chris because to me that was a huge honor um, to to share the captaincy with Chris Drury. I was afraid on how he was going to take it because uh, yeah. Chris Drury and he was the greatest leader, um, had won everywhere, and that's how I saw him. Um, yeah. you know, and and I looked over, kind of worried, and I saw the big smile on his face, and and he was so excited. Um, so that was that was a huge relief, and again that just showed this his type of, uh, of leadership right. commitment to, uh, to the team. And, um, him and I were, were co-captains for, for two years and it, it worked great. We each had our, our own style. Um, but, uh, it, it worked great. And, and obviously when, when you have good teammates around you and you have a team, uh, a winning team that, that really helps and makes, uh, makes the captains and the coaches look better. Sure. A hundred percent. But I think you, you touched on a few things there that I, that I'd like to point out. Like one is, the benefit of surrounding yourself with good people, you know, like you, you know, you're a good person. I mean, I can, I can bet for that. And, and most guys in hockey are, but the thing is, is for you to, to, for you to attach to a guy like Shane Doan early, um, I mean, it can do nothing but help your game. And I think that guys need to seek out that. I don't think we do a good enough job to be like, you know, who do I want to be like, who do I want to emulate? What's going to make me better? And if you're, if you're hanging out with Shane Doan every day in the road, that's way different than, you know, I don't know, somebody else, let's just say, right. You know? Yeah. Hey, it totally, I, I totally agree with you. And, and part of it, I mean, I was, I was fortunate. I fell, you know, in that place in Phoenix where we had a very old team, um, you know, and, and Shane and I and Brad Isbister were, were the only three young guys on the team. So we ended up um, hanging out together. Uh, because we were the only young guys and um, you know I, I couldn't have been any luckier uh, than, than surrounding those two guys and it's right. who I mean he was the ca- captain of the Coyotes for so long I, I've never heard anybody say a bad word about him yeah. uh, you know so I, I was I was very very fortunate to, uh, to have him around early on who was the captain when you got there who, who was the leadership core do you remember in Phoenix um, so so we had uh, Keith Kachuk and, and Jeremy Roenick, um, you know, and both of them, Keith Kachuk was the captain, um, you know, and Jeremy was around, um, you know, and, and those guys were superstars in the league, um, you know, so everybody was looking up to them. Um, so obviously, you know, they, they did some, some great things. Um, you know, the team wasn't winning, so it, it was tough. There was a, a lot of animosity because, you know, we had this team that was should have won with the players that we have with, Rick talk it around and uh, Craig Janney and uh, you know Teppo Newman and Nikolai mm-hmm. and so we were talent wise we we were um, you know amongst the top in the, in the NHL but things were not working out so great and um, you know there was a lot of animosity around the dressing room because we weren't winning and that's uh, that made it tough for for those guys to to lead um, but they they were great leaders and there's a lot of things that I took from them as well. Um, you know, just like when, when I went to Buffalo, I, I had James Patrick around that I, I would really look up to, uh, as well. Um, yeah. so Ben, you try to get the, you know, the, the good things from, from certain people and, you know, there, there's 
things that you see that you know uh, are not good ways to lead. And you, you got to take notes of that and remember that whenever you end up in that same situation to not make the same mistake. Did you ever have somebody, um, you know, older, like, I mean, donors, your peer, right? Like he's, he's your buddy. Obviously you can learn from him. And I, I get that. I had those guys too, but were, was there somebody that was, you know, come from a different era, kind of like, like, I mean, you used to Chuck or you used uh, yeah. Roenick. Like, I'm not saying those guys, but there was somebody like that was maybe 10 years old that kind of t- took you under their wing and, and was a little bit of a mentor for you at any point in your career. Well, and they, you know what? They both did. Um, Keith Kachuk um, invited me that first camp to uh, to stay with him and his family. And then uh, two years later when I was called up, or three years later when I was called up, Jeremy Roenick invited me to stay at his house. Um, so there, there's a lot of good that I, I, I took from them. Both of them, I would say, were, were, were really good to me. Um, uh, those are the two names probably that, that come up um, to me on, on the forefront. Right. No, that's great. Me, my experience, and, and I, I think it was just so pivotal for me. Like the last camp I went to was for the Detroit Red Wings. And up until that point, just on my own personal side, you talked about the animosity in the locker room and stuff. I had always, I was on essentially not winning organizations, but Florida was the exception. They were, uh, they drafted me, they got to the, the cup final, right? The year before yeah. I was pro. So there was some good things going on in there. And there was a bunch of kind of, you know, what do you, workmen like people on that team, right? So like there was, there was a bunch of good guys that hung out and had a lot of fun together, but I was still like 20 years old and I was only there for half a season in that scenario, right? And then I got traded to Toronto. They were having a real tough time. They weren't making the playoffs, right? So Matt Sundin was 27 years old. Great guy. It was nice to me, but it, I don't remember like the, hey kid, you know, like this is kind of the way we do things around here sort of yeah. scenario. And then I went to LA, like Luke Robitaille was there, Rob Blake, big names in the sport, but it wasn't, there wasn't like a feeling of family or there wasn't like a feeling of togetherness, right? It was like, yeah, yeah. I just thought it was kind of the show. And then I ended up going to New York. I wasn't there for very long, but that camp too felt just sort of the same. And again, they hadn't been in the playoffs forever at that point. Um, And then at the end of my career, I'd go to Germany, I'd come back and I'd go to Detroit and they'd been in the playoffs for 15 years and won the cups and like, that was the most comfortable I ever felt in a locker room at 29 years old. And Nick Lidstrom was like asking me out to go play golf. And Thomas Holmstrom was sitting at the front of the bus with me. And Dominic Hasek was talking my ear off for a half an hour. And yeah. like, Chelios walks across the dressing room floor and shakes my hand and takes me to his chili bar in, uh, in Detroit. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah. he had no reason to do any of that. But that whole culture was just so collective that – I was like, wow, this would have been an amazing place to start the career, you know, with guys that they care about you. You know, and, and you, you just made me remember one thing that, um, that I always tried to do. And I got that from Sean Burke when I was uh, in Phoenix. Um, Sean Burke, every single day when you walked into the rink, he would come over and ask you how you were doing, how the family was doing. And it, it didn't matter. He would treat me, the call-up guy, the same way that he would treat Jer- Jeremy Roenick or Keith Kachuk or Tim right. walking in the room. And I, I thought that was so amazing. Um, you know, that's something that um, I know I, I, I look back and I wish I would have done an even better job, but that's something that stayed with me and that, that I tried to do um, right. and try to get treat, um, you know, the trainers and uh, the fans and the fourth line guys, uh, the same uh, as my line mate that I spent, you know, most of my shifts on the ice with. Right. 
and and that's not always an, an easy thing to do, especially when uh, you're going through some some rough time when the team is not winning and, and there's a lot of pressure. Um, so I was always amazed by what Sean Burke, uh, how he would treat treat people and make him feel comfortable. No, that's great. I'm glad you picked up on that because a lot of times we are a victim, not a victim or a benefit of our environment, right? So like what the role models that we have or the scenarios we're in, like we don't know any better, right? We don't really know. And then until you go into that scenario, like for me, like the lights just came on. I was like, wow, like if I was to ever wear a C or to have an organization or to build a team, like that's what it was. That's what I wanted it to be. It was because as a 19, 18 year old kid to come into that organization, like you feel like you're supposed to be in that room. And just being able to say that, right? That you're supposed to be in that locker room. Like, my goodness, how does that, how does that result in performance on the ice? Right? It does. It just does. It has to. And, uh, and those guys, those older guys, like they made you feel like you're supposed to be there. And I think being a captain or being a leader, like I think the organizations that have those guys that are doing those types of things, like you said, being good people. One of your things was like a good, a good leader is a, is a good person cares about other people. Um, it's feel better. And mm-hmm. also when you feel better, you have more confidence. Yeah. Now you have more confidence because you feel welcome. You feel like you're part of the team. Um, it, it changes and helps out a lot. Yeah. And I know uh, I remember you talking because you, you, you weren't great with English, right? And you, and you were like, there was a lot of things that you even had more to go against somebody else. When you walk in that locker room, like kind of just sit there, shut up and be the rookie that you're supposed to be in back in the nineties. And some of the things I talked to you guys. No right now. Yeah. But like, I encourage guys to have conversations. So at the end of the day, like there is good people in that locker room, right? Whether you think there is or not. And you can, even as a 20 year old kid, you can, you can help dictate the conversation. I mean, you can go sit beside that guy and ask him a question, right? Like, how do you prepare? Or, you know what? I'm a little nervous tonight. Like if you, if you are are strong enough to be a bit vulnerable, I think you can find those guys that are going to help you out. And I know it's easier said than done, but now it's one of those things looking back on it. It's like, those opportunities were there. We just maybe didn't want to step into them, you know? There. And, and, and guys, guys would welcome and jump. I, I would say 95, 99% of the guys would jump at the chance of mentoring a, a younger guy who wants to learn from them. So uh, yeah, if you're, you're a player, um, I would say go and, and, and ask someone you look up to just go sit down and ask them questions. They will divulge all their secrets, just, just to try to help you. Um, I I'm convinced of that. And you know, that's something I, I probably didn't use enough. Yeah, I agree. I know you got to run. So we'll just, uh, I'll wrap it up with one last thing, which I think is interesting. You're on the other side of the fence now a little bit, but just the, the, the relationship between coaches and players. I think, I think as the game evolves, I think everything evolves, right? Like the, the way the game's plays evolve, the, the interaction and the relationship between coaches and players is changing. I just think that it's something I know for me back in the day, it's, it, it seemed like we were on the outside looking in. It was the coaches and it was the players. And, and you were kind of waiting, at least I was, to see if a coach was going to build a relationship with you. You know, it's more like that sort of aspect where I think it's got to be more collaborative. And I think, again, if you want to have an opportunity, if you want to be the best player you can be, those coaches got to like you. You know, they got to they believe in you. And I think if you're a guy that goes and asks for that help, if you're the guy that goes and tells them you want to get better, if you're the guy that, you know, walks through that door and says, hey, you know, I'm here. How do I get better today? Um, like that does nothing but help you. And uh, I don't know how you feel about that. But how do you think, like, did you have any strong relationship with coaches that made a difference for you? Or, or how did you, how'd you uh, go that, you know, that relationship it, it management? Goes, I think it goes hand in hand in, in, in how important you are 
in a team, um, what kind of role you have. Obviously, a head coach has to deal with, um, you know, 25 to 30 guys. It's, it's tough to build a strong relationship with every single one of them. You know, focus on his, you know, uh, leadership group most likely. Um, but things, things are chart, uh, changing a lot these days. Um, more and more, you know, coaches spend more time with their players just with it's just the way it is now. You have to explain a lot more to, to players. You have to build relationships that, to have them play for you. Because what, what I believe is, is a coach is a salesman. Right? I, I feel that you can win with any system. Uh, what you need to do is, is convince all your players to play your system. So you're kind of a salesman. You have to build strong relationships uh, with your players. Uh, players are so powerful, especially in the NHL nowadays with the, the, the big contract and the amount of money is the, money the players are making. Yeah. So um, for coaches, it's, it's a, a key ingredient is developing that personal relationship. And you see that more and more now, nowadays. You don't have the, uh, as many of the old school, you know, Mike Keenan uh, scaring the guys in, into playing. I mean, Mike Keenan was an amazing coach and done a lot in his career. But I think the trend is, is shifting now where most coaches are, are, are closer to their players. They get to know them a little better. Um, they become friends so they can get a little bit more out of them. Uh, I, I've been studying that a lot the last few years because of what I'm going through and managing um, the ECHL team. Um, you know, and I've been very fortunate. I, I have a, a coach that excels at it, uh, his relationship, his communication with, with his player. And I see the difference in how much the players want to play for him. Uh, and I think it's tremendous. It's, uh, it's an area you see more and more coaches devoting time to uh, uh, than before. As a player, it's still tough. You're at the mercy of, of your coach that way. Um, if he's not interested in, in a relationship, there's, there's not much you can do. Um, and then you got to shift your energy elsewhere and, and uh, making your yourself the best or better prepared and, and ready to go when, when the puck drops. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I just remember looking back, like the 14 pro teams I played on at the end of the day, like I was at that coaches conference here in uh, right before the draft. And it's amazing how many guys either that I played for, like that, that are still coaching in the NHL that were maybe in the minors at the time are now NHL coaches or assistant coaches or guys that I played with that are now behind the bench in some form or another. And, and I wouldn't say that I, I definitely didn't burn any bridges over my career, but I definitely wasn't really building them either necessarily. And I think there's an interesting perspective there because it is a people sport, as we said earlier, right? And like those guys that are on behind the bench, you know, one, they actually do want the team to do well. And for the team to do well, they want you to do well. And if you let them know that you're a guy that wants to get better, however you want to communicate that, whether that's you coming early to practice, whether it's you asking the assistant coach to help you with getting some pucks, I just think that like you're, you're working on your own personal brand there, I think, you know, and I think that we got to be, sometimes we're a little bit too shy about what it is we actually want. You know, and I think when you when you're when you're vocal about what you want, people want to help. Generally speaking, you know, someone's going to want to help you there. And I think as a player, we can do a little bit to help, um, you know, massage that relationship, that interpersonal relationship with the with the guys that have the have the decisions. You know, and, and that goes back to the beginning of our conversation. You control what you can control. You you can't control your coach. You can't control how he's going to use you or how he sees you. But what you can control is, like you you mentioned, you let him know how much you. Want to get better, and how much you want to help the team. Yeah. 
in control. And, and, and you know, I, I feel only good things can. Yeah. So we'll wrap her up here. I, I mean, I was looking at your stat line. I mean, the one year, I don't know. Like, I would love to know what your highlight was. I mean, having 95, having 95 points in the show, top 10 in the NHL and scoring, like, wow. Like, that's, that's super wild, man. Like, that's, that's, uh, that's something to have a big smile on your face about. But a lot of times, I mean, it does go beyond the old personal accolades and having a great stat line. Like, is there, is there anything that stands out? Was it that year that stood out? Was it, you know, I mean, your, your great playoff runs? Or, like, what was the number one thing when you look back on your career? Now? When I look back, I mean, it's um, – honestly, it's the success that we had in, in Buffalo, um, you know, back-to-back to the conference final. It's uh, my trip to the Stanley Cup. Uh, finals with with the Flyers Um, you know that year we we made the playoffs on game number 82 in the regular season we went in a shootout against the Rangers whoever won that game um, went to the playoffs the other team went home and and we took that game all the way to the Stanley Cup finals against Chicago Um, it's you know with the Montreal Canadiens going to the the, um, conference final when when the city was riding high um, from us beating the Boston Bruins. So um, when I look back, it's, it's those moments uh, that I can share uh, with teammates. Those were the best times. That's the part that I miss. It's not, honestly, it's not, um, you know, scoring a goal for myself. It's, it's really those uh, long runs in the playoffs when everybody is sacrificing uh, their body for each other. Um, you know, see how much guys are hurt, but they, they get back up the next day and they're there for you and they want to do it all over again. Um, you know, it gives me chills just to, to think about that, that um, I went through that with so many quality people. Um, and, you know, that those are the memories that I that I remember. I don't remember, um, you know, certain goals here and there. I, I remember the wins and, you know, sharing uh, a big, a big, uh, big win you know in, in the playoffs moving on to the next round those are probably what I remember the most and what I cherish the most I agree I agree I think I was wired that way too like it, you know the, the regular season was was exciting and fun and regardless of what level you, you were at um, but the playoffs was kind of where it seemed you know that that's where that's where guys would come together that's where I felt like you showed your character what you were about you know as a hockey yeah. player um, the rules always change in playoffs, as we know. You know? <laughs> yeah. So it's like it, it's you, you got to get down, right? You got to get real, and and to be able to to experience success at that at that level must have been awesome. Do you think that there? And I've heard the stories. I mean, I've been to personally. I've been to two two league championships and and was on the wrong side of it every time. Never never was the champion. Was a bridesmaid a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think looking back, like? did the other team do more? Like, do you feel like, like that run was successful, right? That you, you know, that, that you did what you did, or do you feel that there was still something that was missing that you guys just didn't quite get? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, I always think about that. I, I go through all of them. Um, I mean, I, I lost, I think five times in the conference final, one in the Stanley cup finals. And you always go back and try to think, you know, what else could, could we have done? What else could I have done? Um, you know, to, to get over that hump and, uh, you know, it's tough. I'm sure you try to learn and, you know, from, from what was done, but, um, you know, there, honestly, there's not too many. I, I really feel like the teams that I was on for the most part, we left it all out there. Um, you know, and then I, I try to live my way, the, my, my life the same way where, um, if you leave it all out there and you expose yourself, you know, there's no regrets. Um, and that's really how I feel, especially about, you know, getting so close to the Stanley Cup 
we got beat by a team that was just a little better than us. Um, you know, and it is what it is. But I, I really feel like when I look down the room, most of my teammates, everybody left it all out there, and yeah, yeah and, um, it, it makes me feel better. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And again, that's coming. I have to preface that it's coming from somebody who never won the championship. But I think, I mean, I think that you're a champion. I mean, if you can, if you can get that far, if you're doing those things, you mean, it comes down to a bounce here and there, maybe a call, who knows what it comes down to. Right. But the fact that you can have 20 guys that get together to, to, to get that close to winning the hardest trophy, I think in the world that is to win, you're doing a lot of things right. And that's something to be proud of. And, and people people remember the Stanley Cup winners, um, but I can tell you, I remember all of my teammates, you know, from, from that year. We don't maybe get the accolades uh, like the team that have won, but I, I remember all my teammates and I know they were there for me and they were there for each other uh, for a full, you know, full season, but two months uh, of grinding in the playoffs. And um, I, I'm so proud of that. And awesome. I have goosebumps just, you know, thinking about what we went that's the part that we leave behind right and that's the part that's tough is just that aspect that level of competition because I don't think it really leaves us I mean you try and find a way to replace it in being competitive and being you know I don't know I just think that's the tough part you 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 can the game itself I mean obviously I love the game I love watching it but it's like where do you find that outlet for that competitive spirit it's uh it's an interesting aspect for us once we get out of the game yeah and sharing that uh you know hold it's like holding arms with uh with your teammates and, and going to war and, you know, mm. leaving it all there. Like I'm, I'm so proud of them, even though we didn't win. Like I, I still talk, think and talk about this team. Um, like yeah. we are champions because it's spoken like a true leader. Mr. It's spoken like, a, it's spoken like a true leader right there. You mean that's somebody <laughs> who cares and is thinking about everyone else. That's great. Um, and thanks for doing this for me. I know, I know you're a busy guy. Like I said, and I asked you for this interview and you said, yeah, no problem. No questions asked. And that's a testament to you too. So thanks so much for doing this. I hope you had a good time. Well, thanks. That was a pleasure. I, I really enjoyed going back and uh, reliving all those memories. Cool. No, that's great. And I think it's going to, and that's the idea here. I think you're, you're wired that way with what you're doing. You're helping guys who are pros who are, who are, want to move on and get better. That's what I'm doing. I'm trying to help guys get better. And if there's anything that we can do that we've done, you know, that we can share a little light and help somebody maybe not have to go through the BS or maybe get through something a little bit quicker. I think we're doing a good job. And, um, you know, I, I know you're, you're wired that way. And, and, and that's what we're trying to do with this podcast. So thanks so much. Yeah, and no, I'm excited about uh, what, what you're you're starting. I, I think it's tremendous. I, I it's something that's needed, um, and I, I know it's going to benefit uh, a lot of the players um, or athletes that that are going to use you and your group. I uh, I really commend you for that, and oh, awesome. I can help you um, even more. Don't hesitate. Uh, All right, something that's needed. I totally appreciate it, Danny. You're a true gentleman. Thanks so much, and we'll we'll continue this conversation another time. Can't wait. Thanks, Thanks, Danny. Thank you so much for joining me today here on Up My Hockey. Uh, I really enjoyed that conversation with Danny Breer. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed having it. Danny is one of those guys that, geez, you just enjoy being around. His insights into the game, his vulnerability, and his openness to share his story about what it took him to get to that next level, to become the player that Danny could be at the NHL level. Uh, I think there's so much to be learned there from from everybody who is listening. So um, thank you so much for listening. Again, the best way to support this podcast is to talk about it, is to share it, is to review it. 
uh, is to rate it. And, uh, and that's the best way to get this in, into other people's hands and allow other people to hear it and to hear the message. So please subscribe, review, and share, uh, and keep listening up, My Hawk. You'll have another great interview here next week. Uh, thanks so much, and make it a great day.